This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, Claudette, it was short-lived. <laughs> Yeah, are you talking about the weather? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a pleasure to see it, though. What uh, you know, you saw a bounce in everybody's step, and oh, yeah, that sort and of a thing. smile. I felt like I was happier. Yeah, it. Yeah, and it broke the the double digits, so that's mm-hmm. encouraging as well. It almost felt like spring today. But uh, now we're back at it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a little bit of cloud moving in, a little bit, few little sprinkles falling. I think we're going to get some rain tonight, but it's supposed to improve later on the week. So, yes, there's a silver lining. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Anyway, it was nice to see at the weekend, too. Did you get out and do anything? I was out on my bike a little bit uh, in Bowering Park, and and that was really pretty. So just just feeling the fresh air on my face was just amazing. Oh, it does you a world of good. And I got at my my garden, maybe a little too early. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) you know, I put some soil down, tilled it a bit, uh, you know, with the hope of perhaps till, uh, putting some seeds down at some oh, point. <laughs> I know. Apparently, I think. Are you supposed to wait until the first frost in You're June or something? You're supposed to wait until after the first frost yeah. in June. Yeah, but it's hard to wait. You know, especially when you get a little little taste yeah. of it on the weekend. Yeah. yeah, And I mean, I've learned my mistake from being a little too over eager in the yeah. past. Yeah, my sisters will look at my garden and say, "What the heck <laughs> is this?" And I'd be like, "I know." Anyway, <laughs> there you have it. Uh, we live in hope. Well, as you know, which, uh, speaking of living in hope, uh, the, the whole fishery situation has really um, taken a turn, <laughs> so to speak. There was a tentative deal, that's what some were calling it, a tentative deal brokered with the help of government officials over the weekend, and it, it sounded like most sides were feeling optimistic that there might be a solution to the crisis in the commercial snow crab fishery. Of course, there's only a limited window in which you can uh, fish for crab. Of course, the crab will soon be going into soft shell, and then you can't you can't uh, fish them. Then they're just not edible or anything like that. So. Um, Time is of the essence, and the the snow crab fishery in particular is worth so much to Newfoundland and Labrador. We're going to start feeling the impacts of that in no time. In fact, there's lots of people right now who are feeling the impacts of that. So the pressure is on, and some harvesters have been saying, you know what? I got to go. I I have to go. I can't wait any longer. Uh, And other harvesters are saying, look, if you go out now... It's not going to do any of us any good. So it's a real issue. And, of course, the latest offer that was made to harvesters on the weekend was rejected by harvesters. Well, the FFAW Snow Crab Negotiating Committee is now developing a counterproposal to the Association of Seafood Producers after harvesters rejected the latest offer made on the weekend. The committee met this morning to review developments. The union says the new offer maintained a minimum price of two twenty a pound. That was exactly the same price set by the price-setting panel, but they uh, left room open to say, look, if markets change dramatically, it will not go below 220. That was one of the concerns. It won't go below 220, but it may be able to go higher. And they also guaranteed that they would continue to buy for the, ma- uh, the remainder of the, uh, the crab fishing season. Well, 
The union says the committee is firm that no mo movement will be made by harvesters until there is movement in the minimum price. The committee is developing a counter proposal to submit to ASP. The FFAW says ensuring inshore harvesters receive a fair share for their catch is paramount to the long-term sustainability of the prosperity of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, including plant workers, harvesters, and all fishery workers. The matter came up, of course, today in the House of Assembly this afternoon, and here's what was said on that. Last week, the Premier repeatedly refused to answer questions about the crab fishery and rejected calls to bring all parties together to find a solution. Yet, he was quick to take credit for a tentative crab deal that quickly collapsed. Will the Premier personally bring the parties back to the table and attend the meeting? The Honourable Minister of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture. Thank you very much, Speaker. And I gotta say, Friday afternoon myself, I was pretty much on the same page that the Premier was on. We were assured that this deal was looking good and was gonna be sold and brought home so that people could get back fishing. That did not happen. That is so unfortunate, Mr. Speaker. Thank you. The Honourable, the Leader of the Fisheries Opposition. Uh, thank you, Speaker. And it's good to be on the same page, but the Premier needs to be in the room to get on the same page with the industry people there to make sure a deal is something that's gonna work for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Speaker, one contentious issue is the proposal to allow the import of crab for processing here while our fleet remains tied up uh, or subject to other conditions. Speaker, governments controls the processing licenses. Why does the Premier believe this is fair? The Honourable the Deputy Premier. Thank you very much. And I just want to take a moment to address the preamble. I do want to thank the Premier. This is a very important issue for the people of the province, especially the processors and harvesters here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Very important to the economy in Newfoundland and Labrador. I want to thank the Premier, the Minister of Fisheries, the Minister of Labour for coming together, for bringing the parties together, for having good dialogue and discussion. I think it was an important advancement, and we're going to continue to encourage that kind of open dialogue to reach a settlement. Thank you. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Speaker. And the Deputy Premier is correct. This is a very important issue to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. This is a billion-dollar fishery that is the lifeblood of rural Newfoundland and Labrador. Every day that the parties are not talking is another nail in the coffin of our fishing industry. Threats and accusations are flying back and forth, and residents of the province are looking to the Premier for leadership. Speaker, he was quick to get personally involved in green hydrogen. Why is the fishery less important? The Honourable the Minister of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture. I can assure the member that the Premier was involved. He had spoke to the President of the FFAW last week. He was involved in our conversations. Minister Davis and I, myself lead in a lot of the, a lot of the conversations, a lot of the trying to get the mediation, get them, to, get them together. We've been actively involved. We've told him we stay actively involved. It was very disappointing to find out Sunday or Monday that this was not a deal. It was so disappointing with Amriel because we were assured that afternoon on Friday this was a done deal. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Speaker, now the lobster fishery is slowly trying to recover after stoppage. We have not heard anything from the province on the FFAW's request to allow outside buyers. And harvesters on the West Coast are now subject to crate limits. Can the Minister provide an update on this important fishery? The Honourable the Minister of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture. Thank you very much. I'm happy to speak on that. A deal was signed yesterday by all parties, and the lobster fishery is ongoing. So I'm very pleased that ASP and the FFAW have worked hard together to make a deal on lobsters, Mr. Speaker. 
And uh, there you go, some of the debate in the House of Assembly uh, this afternoon concerning the situation facing not only the crab fishery, but the lobster fishery as well. And as you know, there were um, harvesters who were, um, I guess, gathering on wharves across the province um, last week um, to raise issue the issue about that, buyers simply not buying a crab at that uh, time. Um, so a very important uh, discussion happening there. And if you are affected by this, uh, whatever side you happen to be on, I would encourage you to give us a call this afternoon. Now, Claudette, uh, we were talking about the sun and what often happens when the sun is shining is you you know roll down your windows you turn up the radio and your speakers a bit and uh, you tend to hit the gas a little bit <laughs> i've noticed that in a many lot areas. of people yeah. do it and yeah. uh you know i get it uh, but it can result in some problems and we've got a couple of problems out there right now we do so we have reports within the past half hour now of a couple of traffic accidents one involving a motorcycle on campbell avenue and another involving a vehicle, and I'm just looking at a uh, vehicle, it appears to be an SUV uh, that's up on the guardrail in Pleasant Street. The vehicle is actually on its side. So Pleasant Street and Lamarchant Road intersection. So I'm trying to picture that in my mind's eye. I, I used to I live on too, Pleasant so I, Street. Because I'm trying to picture that as well. So that that's just the information that we, okay. we received. Yeah, no so. problem. It must be up there near where the uh, old Grace used to be, if I had to guess. If it's I near would Lamarches. suspect it would be on yeah. that side. Very good. Well, uh, be careful out there, folks. Um, and uh, take your time. Uh, and, you know, you just don't know what can happen. I passed by uh, an accident there the other day and it was uh, quite a bit of damage, uh, but that was a whole other set of circumstances involved there. In fact, some charges were late. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear some of the debate in the House of Assembly this afternoon regarding government's decision to um, create, if you will, a new mid-sized theater in the St. John's region. We'll be back right after this. You're busy, but you'll never be be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The drive on your VOCM. And we're back. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I wonder about playing all these uh, bits of audio from the House of Assembly, but sometimes they can be quite entertaining. Yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's some entertainment here <laughs> value. And it's not just a theater. There is a bit of theater involved, though. I should say a lot <laughs> of theater, as a matter of fact. Well, debate in the House of Assembly this afternoon got rowdy when opposition House Leader Barry Pettin started questioning Tourism and Culture Minister Steve Crocker on last week's government announcement to create a new mid-sized theatre in the capital city region. And as you know, if you've been listening to VOCM, you know that uh, we had uh, Bob Hallett on. He's with Tara Bruce Productions and they're developing their own uh, private theatre in the capital city region. And his first thoughts were well, how come we didn't know about this? It would have been nice to get the heads up about something that's going to be in direct competition with us. Well, the opposition picked up that little uh, portion of uh, things and ran with it. The debate devolved, however, into political one-upmanship between the two members. Here's how that went. Speaker, local producer Bob Hallett has said, I quote, we didn't know anything about it. We felt kind of blindsided. We were a little bit hurt. When speaking about the Liberal plans for a new theatre, in fact, his company has invested their own private money to reopen a mid-sized theatre in the city. Why are the Liberals now using public money to compete with a private business? 
The Honourable Members of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the Honourable Member for the question. Mr. Speaker, we're not building a theatre to compete. We're building a theatre to complement. Mr. Speaker, we're building an industry here in this province that has huge potential. This is, you know, seeing further down the road, Mr. Speaker. We think there's lots of room in this city, in this region, for two mid-sized theatres, Mr. Speaker. And I would point out to the member opposite that we had to single our intentions of what it is we're planning on doing, Mr. Speaker. Uh, now we will do public consultation, which will involve the theatre community, Mr. Speaker. We don't have the ability as a government to publicly consult in private, Mr. Speaker. So we're looking forward to talking to the community, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, if the minister, member, sorry, the member from Terranova would like to ask a question, I'll certainly sit down. Uh, but, uh, Mr. Speaker, again, uh, we're looking forward to what this theatre can bring to the industry here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Thank you. The Honourable, the Opposition House Leader. Thank you, Speaker. And uh, Mr. Hall already said <clears throat> there's not enough, there doesn't support two theatres in this province. And is this what this government does? They, they announce a plan, announces a theatre, then he goes and plans for it. Isn't that what you do? Don't you consult and plan and talk to people first, then decide what you're going to do? They do it backwards. But I guess that's not the only thing they've done backwards, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Speaker, in order for the local arts community to thrive, the Liberals must work with them, not compete against them. The Minister said on Friday that the next step would be consulting with the arts community and that we still have a lot of work to do. Good point, eh? Why didn't the Minister do his homework before last week's photo op? The Honourable Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I realize the members opposite didn't understand public procurement when they were in office, office Mr. Speaker. Uh, we cannot do public consultation in private, Mr. Speaker. Well done. Order, please. Member, maybe, Mr. Speaker, Order, member please. from Stephenville, Fort Port would like to ask a question. Hey, so, Mr. Speaker, he will, he will not ask one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I will guarantee you... Order, please. The Honourable Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Speaker, I'll guarantee you the minister, member from Stephenville, Port of Port, won't ask me a question on this today. Uh, Mr. Speaker, it is so important what we've done for the arts community in this province, Mr. Speaker. This government has done more for the arts community in the last six or seven years than any government in history, Mr. Speaker. An annual grant to arts has now gone from two to five million dollars every single year, Mr. Speaker. A film and television industry, Mr. Speaker, gone from a two million dollar equity investment to a ten million dollar equity investment, Mr. Speaker. And I would challenge the member if he wants to go out, go talk to uh, artistic prod, for example. The honourable, the opposition House leader. Yes, uh, Speaker, if the Minister wants to move over and let one of us come over and do his job, we'll all do that. If he wants to challenge us, no problem. Move on, we'll come on. Yeah, changes in the air, yeah. But, Minister, Speaker, we know public money is being spent without proper consultation. That's what we're worried about. It's proper expenditure of public money is what this government should be more worried about as well. The Minister's backtracking on the Premier's announcement, now saying the renovation is possible. The Minister said on Friday he did not think the Reeds Theatre fits. But they also said nothing was decided. I asked the minister, what is it? What's your answer? The Honourable Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And I thank the member for the, for the question, Mr. Speaker. In his research, obviously, he didn't talk to anybody at Memorial, Mr. Speaker, because obviously there are challenges around that theatre. And I think, Mr. Speaker, uh, that there's plans by Memorial to use that theatre actually as a lecture hall. Uh, but, Mr. Speaker, look, we will, talk to, we will talk to the arts community, which we've been doing for quite some time, Mr. Speaker. You 
would have seen that uh, at, if, if he would have took some time to watch the announcement on Wednesday night, Mr. Speaker, where Jill Kiley, who was actually probably one of the best-known producers, directors that this province has ever produced. She just finished up a stint as director at the National, uh, National Center for the Arts in, in Ottawa, Mr. Speaker. You know, we've heard from people like Jillian and others in the community, Mr. Speaker, but we'll do more work because, again, we can't do public consultations in private. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Honourable Opposition House Leader. Amazing, you know, you can announce a mid-sized theatre in St. John's and make a total mess of it. I mean, there's more than a minister of messes, there's a government of messes across the way, Mr. Speaker. I'm, I'm incredible, incredible. See, so should have probably asked Mon first. Now they decide after they announce they're going to talk to Mon, maybe they might call Bob Allen the next day. Incredible. The Liberals are competing with private businesses and leaving a half-finished venue at Mon vacant. Well, the Premier and the Minister now admit last week's announcement was nothing more than a... The Honourable Members of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Mr. Speaker, I believe the member opposite is going to audition for Peter Pan. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, quite frankly, they don't, they, they, they fails, he, they, they fail to understand the process that we've put in place, Mr. Speaker. We announced a theatre. We're looking forward to building a theatre, Mr. Speaker, to support the arts industry, Mr. Speaker, in this province. The reality is, Mr. Speaker, Conservatives don't support the arts. Quite frankly, that's why I'm a Liberal, because I cannot get, I cannot Get, I cannot get to the place where Conservatives, quite frankly, I cannot get to the place where Conservatives are. They continue to attack the arts industries in this province, Mr. Speaker. Hey. They attack arts on a national stage, Mr. Speaker. And quite frankly, I, I can't believe that that party would not want to support the arts in Newfoundland Labrador. Encore! The Honourable the Member of Paradise. So there you go, a little of the theatre from the House of Assembly this afternoon. Uh, would you consider the House of Assembly to be a mid-sized theatre? <laughs> you know, when my grandmother was alive, it was her favourite entertainment. Yeah. Just listening no, to all of that. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, there's something to be said for that side of things. <laughs> the, the entertainment factor, anyway. So that was debate between Opposition House Leader Barry Petten and uh, Tourism and Culture Minister uh, Steve Crocker. Well, switching gears now, this is Stop Sexual Exploitation Week in Newfoundland and Labrador, a time set aside to bring attention to exploitive activities such as human trafficking and to share information about resources and information available to victims and their support networks. The minister responsible for women and gender equity signed the proclamation at Thrive, an organization which works to support victims. Pam Parsons noted that government provides Thrive with $60,000 annually to run its coalition against the Sexual Exploitation of Youth, or Casey program. Thrive Executive Director Angela Crockwell spoke with media today at the pro proclamation, including VOCM's Brian Medor. Yeah, so this is our third or fourth annual week of recognition, and we felt it was really important to take one week of the year to really highlight the reality of sexual exploitation throughout our province. So this year the theme is I Am Here, and it really is reflective of the voices of people with lived experience who often feel like they're not seen or they're not heard, and we often also hear from community members when we talk about this issue who will say... I can't believe this is happening in our province. So we really wanted to go with a theme that highlights, you know, these folks are in our province and they've had this experience and it's really important for us as a collective community to 
be aware of that, to raise awareness of that, and then obviously hopefully take action to prevent that from happening to others. How prevalent is, is this issue in the provinces? Maybe people at home might not have any sense, you know. Yeah, um, and in terms of like statistical data, is really challenging to find that uh, because it's often very underreported, but we know through the work that we are doing here, uh, there are lots of people impacted. We did a, a recent report where you know we were able to engage people with lived experience. We get lots of referrals coming into this organization, and again, throughout the entire province. So I think it's much more pervasive than anybody really knows, and unfortunately, we just don't have the data and the numbers. Yeah. And when you say child sexual exploitation, are we just talking about human trafficking, or does it extend beyond that in terms of your definition? Yeah, so for us, when we think about uh, sexual exploitation, it is inclusive of human trafficking, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So when you think about if you had a young person who uh, didn't have a place to sleep tonight and somebody offered a couch or a place and said, but you have to trade a sexual favor in order for you to access uh, that space, that would be exploitation. It wouldn't necessarily meet the uh, legal definition of human trafficking, but it's certainly exploitive. And what's your assessment of uh, government response since your report did come out in February, I think it was? Yes, we released the report in February, and since then we have written to uh, all relevant government departments and have requested meetings and really looking towards like May and June to have those conversations. First, we were really engaging our broader community partners and had lots of meetings, so have only have recently reached out to the provincial government to say, can we have some um, discussions, a dialogue? So we certainly expect to hear from um, the Department of Women and Gender Equality uh, in the next few weeks to start those conversations, and hopefully they'll be um, you know, really positive and we can move the recommendations forward. And that's Angela Crockwell, the executive director of Thrive, who spoke with reporters today. This is a week set aside to stop sexual exploitation, and the proclamation was signed today at Thrive headquarters in the St. John's area. Coming up, we'll get reaction to the World Health Organization's declaration that the public health emergency caused by COVID-19 is now over. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. And uh, you may remember last week that the World Health Organization uh, declared that the public health emergency caused by COVID-19 is now over. However... The public health threat caused by the virus remains. And this is how these things are sort of categorized and um, determines response, if you know what I'm saying. Well, Richard, VOCM's Richard Duggan sought out Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, for her response to the WHO's announcements. It's a little bit anticlimactic in some ways, but I, I guess very encouraging, isn't it? Um, you know, knowing that um, that the World Health Organization has uh, really said that, you know, we've looked at all the evidence and based on what we see, we don't think that um, that the COVID-19 pandemic requires the same kind of international coordination and response that it had previously and that while it is still an ongoing, um, uh, ongoing concern and medical issue that we have to deal with, um, obviously, uh, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't constitute that uh, emergency of international concern. So um, it's quite uh, quite reassuring, I guess, to hear that. 
Does this uh, decision from the World Health Organization impact how you and public health uh, approach COVID-19 in this province in any way? Um, Not at the moment, really. Um, You know, certainly uh, we ended our own emergency, as you know, uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago. So uh, we have been uh, moving towards an approach of of, uh, COVID, uh, to COVID-19 of, uh, you know, it's part of our um, infectious disease landscape and we have to approach it that way. So we have to treat it in the same um, in the same vein as we would flu or RSV or any of those types of uh, infectious diseases. And so um, our surveillance has been moving in that direction. Um, the advice that we're giving to people is moving in that direction, you know, moving towards more of a uh, doing an individual risk assessment and deciding, um, you know, how, how best to protect your own individual health. Um, and so, so we've been doing that for quite some time. And uh, um, I think you know, this certainly reinforces that um, tactic, but uh, I don't know that it's going to change a whole lot of what we do at this point. So that's uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, responding to the WHO's declaration that the uh, public health emergency caused by COVID-19 is now over. And she says that's not going to change a whole lot here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, if you've been traveling on the in the downtown of St. John's in the last uh, 24 or 48 hours or so, you'll notice a new vessel docked there uh, on the harbor apron, the French Patrol boat, the PSP Fulmar, that's based normally in the French islands of saint pierre Miquelon, is paying a visit to the capital city. The vessel is part of the French Navy's uh, action force. My next guest is the commanding officer of the Fulmar, Lieutenant Jean-Marie Tertre. Well, bonjour. <laughs> bonjour. Bienvenue à Saint-Jean. Merci beaucoup. So what is the Fulmar doing in St. John's? Well, the summer is uh, in St. John's for a few days uh, uh, to mainly to maintain the link uh, between uh, uh, the um, Canadian forces and administration and uh, and the, the Fulmar, uh, the unit. Um, and uh, last week, we've already uh, trained at sea with uh, uh, the uh, 103rd SAR squadron based in Kander, and we uh, continue by uh, making a port visit in St. John's, uh, well, to maintain this link uh, between uh, uh, between the, the, the authorities in, uh, in Newfoundland and, 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 the, and the unit. So what kind of work does the Fulmar uh, normally take part in? Oh, mainly our missions is... Uh, um, around Saint Pierre Miquelon is um, based in uh, well fishery enforcement, uh, search and rescue missions, and well uh, maritime patrol. And it's also um, well we we are also part in co- uh, cooperation missions, uh, of course with the Canadian uh, Coast Guard and Canadian uh, Air Force, but also with uh, the U.S. and the Danish in uh, Greenland. Is it uh, involved in search and rescue as well, if if need if needs be? Yeah, uh, and this is why we we uh, usually train with the uh, Canadian unit around Saint Pierre Miquelon uh, to make sure we uh, we are able to work together uh, if uh, our mission uh, goes on. How long is the Fulmar in uh, Saint John's for? 
Our first few days, we arrived uh, yesterday afternoon and we'll be leaving on Wednesday. And I understand that you are inviting the public on board. Yeah, we'll be uh, receiving the the public tomorrow between uh, uh, 10 and uh, noon in the morning. Uh, well, to visit uh, the the ship and especially to um, discuss with the the, the 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 sailors. Wonderful! So people will get to interact with uh, the the crew on board. Yeah, um, the people the, the tour will be uh, um, conducted by uh, the crew uh, by sailors. So uh, the idea is to. Uh, for visitors to uh, to discuss with the crew to uh, about uh, the Fulma, the mission, the uh, everyday life on board, uh, and what uh, uh, wanted them to 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 join the navy, to join uh, Saint Pierre and Miquelon on board Fulma, uh, uh, and and so on. So yourself and the crew, do you come from Saint Pierre and Miquelon, or are you from mainland France? Uh, how does that work? Uh, the, all the crew, we are 11 on board. All the crew is from uh, mainland France, but uh, one day uh, they, well, one of the sailors could be from Saint Pierre Miquelon, but at the moment, all the crew is from mainland France and is on board for two years. Um, yeah, two years. So, how do you enjoy your time uh, uh, in and around Saint Pierre? Oh, it's a very, uh, very uh, uh, unique uh, uh, space in Saint Pierre. Very unique as far as the uh, the mission of the Fulmar is is concerned. Uh, we're uh, the only uh, naval ship stationed in Saint Pierre, um, uh, so it's very, very uh, well. It's one of its kind, uh, the, the ship, but also the Saint Pierre, uh, which is. Um, a place uh, that is uh, um, uh, quite special, uh, with um, especially for the families, which is a, a very, very uh, good space for for a place. And when you um, when you did your training and and uh, have done your uh, time in France, so where do you uh, spend most of your time working from? Is it through the the Mediterranean, through the Atlantic Ocean? Where where are you normally based? Well, I've been uh, after my, my training. I've been stationed first in uh, New Caledonia in the Southern Pacific, uh, and I've uh, also been stationed in uh, Brest uh, in Western France, Brittany, uh, where, I, where I've spent the last uh, five years of my career. So this is a little bit different from the South Pacific. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's that's what makes the the uh, uh, sailor career uh, uh, very uh, interesting, and um, the, the jobs changes uh, and the place changes every two or three years. An exciting career, no doubt. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, Lieutenant uh, Jean-Marie Tertre is the commanding officer of the Fulmar. It's in St. John's Harbour as we speak, and they're inviting members of the public to come for a little tour on board the uh, the vessel. It's a little tiny thing. <laughs> I had it pictured much bigger. 
Yeah, so, so did I. When I passed it this morning, yeah. I was like, well, oh, there it is. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a lovely vessel, yeah. and uh, they're openly uh, welcoming people on board tomorrow from 10 to 12. So if you happen to be in the area wondering, you know, what am I going to do this morning? Do something uh, interesting and different for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Dart down, meet with some of these French uh, sailors from uh, mainland France who are doing their time um, in uh, St. Pierre. And that happens a lot in St. Pierre, I understand, like the gendarme and all of those mm-hmm. people that come over, government type of uh, work uh, positions. Uh, they usually come from mainland France and they spend some time in St. Pierre and then they, they go on and do another thing. Uh, so it's very interesting indeed. So a little bit of international flair there for you yeah, in I, St. John's Harbor. I, I liked how you asked them, you know, it would be slightly different for them because I thought originally they were all from St. Pierre. Yeah. But like when you mentioned they're from mainland France, what a difference. What a difference. And he yep. was based in New Caledonia in the South Pacific near yeah. Austria. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> When we come back, we're going to stay with the St. Pierre theme. Um, uh, A new um, exhibit opened up in St. Pierre on the weekend uh, to introduce, I suppose, the the work and the activities of the Royal Newfoundland Regiment to the people of St. Pierre. Uh, When we come back right after this. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Well, the PSP Fulmar, uh, normally based in Saint-Pierre et Miquelon, is visiting St. John's, and there was a, st- still with the, the Saint-Pierre theme, I suppose, the Royal Newfoundland Regiment Museum is partnering with L'Arche Museum in, uh, and Archives on the French islands of Saint-Pierre et Miquelon for a six-week exhibit on the regiment's role in Europe during World War One. The exhibit, which officially opened on the weekend, was designed to showcase the experience of regimental soldiers on the front lines in France. Royal Newfoundland Museum Chair Frank Gogos uh, joins me now. So, hello, Frank. Hi. Uh, so, you have just come back from uh, Saint Pierre et Miquelon for the opening of this new exhibit. Tell us what it's all about. Uh, we, in collaboration with the Larch Museum in Saint Pierre, the Royal Newfoundland Regiment Museum, uh, produced a series of informational storyboards and a few artifacts, not many. Uh, to tell the story of uh, Newfoundland in the First World War. Um, It was identified through our collaboration that most people in St. Pierre are not aware of uh, the impact the war had on Newfoundland, nor um, the memorials that we erected overseas uh, to commemorate those service and sacrifice. So we this is an opportunity for us to engage uh, with the people of St. Pierre uh, in something and because we are very close neighbors as you know and um, hopefully uh, this may grow into something a little bigger as we progress down the road. And of course there were quite a few Newfoundlanders who fought for St. Pierre for the French side of things uh, many years ago. I can remember seeing uh, monuments in St. Pierre with some very familiar names on them. Well, well, yes. Uh, I mean, the the families of St. Pierre, uh, many of them are tied closely to families on the Buren Peninsula on the south coast. So there's a lot of intermarriage, and so when you, it's striking when you see their memorial. Uh, there's a lot of Newfoundland names on the memorial, including you know names familiar to Fortune and the area around uh, St. Lawrence. And, of course, a lot of these battles were fought in, of course, France. Mont-Hamel, of course, is in France. Uh, this is correct, yes. 
And uh, something I did learn while I was there is of the 400 who served, uh, their uh, death casualty rate is very similar to the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, which is extremely high. So what kind of uh, um, artifacts are, are contained in this exhibit? Uh, as for artifacts, there weren't many because uh, we weren't sure uh, how to, in such a short time frame, to deal with uh, customs and that sort of thing. Because we are dealing with a uh, another country, um, and so what we did, what I, what we did is we've uh, brought down a few things that were pertinent to the last uh, erection of the uh, of a caribou memorial, and that's the one in Gallipoli. And so there's an item that, uh, an item, a caribou head that was produced uh, to commemorate that. It had a very limited rum that was uh, put there on display, and it was given to the museum, so they'll have it for, for you know, ever and ever. As well, we shared photographs of the regiment in France, as well as uh, a death certificate and similar things like that. The the exhibition is really designed to engage people of St. Pierre and the students who are already uh, being booked to come in and learn about, you know, uh, the Royal Newfoundland Regiment and Newfoundland in, uh, War Service in general during the First World War. And how was the opening of this exhibit received in St. Pierre? Uh, it was, uh, there was quite a few people there. Uh, it was actually opened by the minister uh, for overseas territories. He was on the island um, doing a visit. And, and, and engaging with some of uh, the local politicians. So most of the local politicians were out people from the community, teachers, um, and and uh, and others, I guess. I, you know, I, I stay in the background. I don't speak French, so it's uh, sometimes it's very difficult for me to understand who's who. So it sounds like it was a, a great um, uh, effort there. Um, any other big plans coming up now this uh, coming summer? Well, in we we've been contacted by the community, one community in France, Montchilles uh, Fru, who are interested in a similar exhibit. Um, we are also in discussions uh, through uh, the honorary French Council in St. John's about uh, getting support and 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 bringing these to the French schools in the province. And we're looking for we're looking to open up and perhaps reach out to other communities in France as well. Are you heading over there this summer? I do believe I am. Uh, I'm, I'm get to reprise my role as uh, historian on the uh, Newfoundland Labrador uh, pilgrimage that takes place every year. And of course, you've been there a n- number of times now. Um, does it ever not have the same impact? If you know what I'm saying, is it still an emotional uh, I, experience for you? Very much so. Uh, that part really doesn't change. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, you, and it, it comes from um, from being on the bus with people who are not are not sure about what they're going to um, uh, see and experience. And is watching how they change their perspective on Newfoundland's role in the First World War. And, you know, you, you can't really get through to books and pictures 
what you can get through to people when they're actually stood on the ground, when they can see the cemeteries, when they can see the memorials, um, you know, that has that has the major impact. Emotional indeed. Uh, Frank Gogos, really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And Frank Gogos, as you know, is the chair of the Royal Newfoundland Museum just back from St. Pierre A. Miquelon. Well, a review on the provincial government's Independent Appointments Commission legislation is now underway, and the man tasked to conduct the review is looking for public input. David Conway is next on the line. Well, hello, David Conway. Hello. You are involved now in this uh, review of the Independent Appointments Commission legislation. What's that all about? Yes, I've, I've been asked by the uh, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador to conduct a statutory review of the Independent Appointments Commission Act. Uh, the Act specifies that reviews occur, um, you know, on a, on a five-year basis, and this, because it's a new piece of legislation, is the first statutory review. And how do independent appointments, you know, affect the general public? Well, um, some of the most important entities in our provinces, you know, agency boards and commissions, uh, are appointed through um, uh, the Independent Appointments Commission process. Um, so, so people from all over the province are welcome to apply through that process, um, and of course, be potentially appointed to to what they call Tier One entities. That's the Independent Appointments Commission process, which is, is governed by the Act. So what will you be looking at specifically here as part of this statutory review? Well, the mandate's quite broad. Um, I've been asked to look at increasing participation in the process, um, as well as having people from, from all regions of the province um, participate, and particularly to increase you know, the diversity of candidates, including Indigenous candidates. So it's, it's a very broad mandate, um, again, to look at how to increase the efficiency of the process and the outcomes under the Act. Basically look at what's working, what isn't working, and make recommendations towards improvement. And you're looking for uh, public input. Absolutely. Um, this system depends upon the public in order to, to work. Um, and the more that people are aware of, of uh, the Independent Appointments Commission um, and the potential for appointments, um, then, then that's, that's how things get better. It's, it's really the key to the process. If people don't apply or aren't aware of, of potential appointments, then, then they can't be considered. Now, some people might say, well, you know, it's a government process. What, what, what difference will it make what I have to say? What's your response to something like that? Well, the public, it's critical for, for individuals to be involved. Um, public service in, in any form is, is critical to the operations of our province. Um, the Independent Appointments Commission is, is exactly that. It is independent. Um, recommendations are made through that process, um, and it's key to have, have applicants apply in order for them to be considered. So, so, in fact, I was appointed as chair of the Labor Relations Board in 2017, uh, according to the Independent Appointments Commission process. Uh, it, it's a fair and open process, and it's, it's, it's again, um, key that people consider applying through it in order to, be, to potentially be appointed to positions. So how long is this process going to take? Well, uh, the report is due by May 31st of this month. Um, following that, it will be considered by government and, and made public. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's an ongoing process until my report is due. But, of course, reviews occur every five years as per the Act. So, so this will be the first, but the others will follow. And is there uh, time limitations on public input? 
until uh, my report is due, although there are timelines noted for, for written submissions along with public um, consultation meetings, they're all on the Engage in our website. Um, the, the key date being if anyone wants to speak to me up until my report is due, May 31st, they're welcome to do so. So, so input up until, until that point in time is, is welcome. So David, how can people get involved? Well, uh, Engage in Alice set up a webpage, uh, which has a lot of the information about the statutory review. Individuals are welcome to contact me directly um, or to email. Um, written submissions are, are possible. There's also going to be a public consultation meetings. So it's really um, any form of involvement that, that anyone's comfortable with, groups or organizations, members of the public. And we'll be linking that to any story that we put up online. David Conway, I appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And of course, David Conway is uh, leading the independent, uh, the review, I suppose, of the uh, provincial government's independent appointments commission legislation. Well, that's it for us for today. Hopefully, we'll see the sun again. It's coming. It's coming again. <laughs> I know it. I can feel it. I can put my carrots out. Um, uh, we'll be back tomorrow, so do join us then. Uh, and uh, appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, thanks for listening.